In this episode, we are going to talk about textbooks. Now, some teachers find themselves in a teaching situation where they are at least somewhat required to use a textbook. So how do we keep our classrooms communicative and focus on proficiency goals when that's the case? Well, today I'm joined by Timothy Chavez, who has been in this situation, and he's going to give us some insights and ideas and thoughts about how you can add on to units in a textbook so that you do have a communicative classroom that's focused on culture as well. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Hola, mis amigos. Bonjour, mes amis. Welcome to the World Language Classroom podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Cabral. And today, my friends, we are going to talk about not the word grammar. That's one of the words that makes everyone like, ah, but the word textbook. It's another one of those words where it's like, ah, what do we do about it? Right? Grammar and textbooks. So before we start talking about textbooks, I want to put this idea out there about something we hear when we hear the word like millennial. And with a millennial generation, we hear this term of them being digital natives, which means they were born into a world of technology. So they understand how to use it. It's almost like this intrinsic knowledge of how to use it. Those of us from previous generations, we're the digital immigrants. We needed to learn how to use technology. And we realized it's an incredibly useful tool. We just needed to learn how to use it. But the other great thing about our millennial teachers, so those are those teachers, I guess we'll say like 25 to 35 right now. They are also, along those same lines, what I'm going to call proficiency natives, which means they had the opportunity to learn in proficiency-based classrooms, and so they teach with a proficiency mindset. They're these proficiency natives. They're not having to learn it the way us Gen Xers and baby boomers have had to learn it. So I thought I would bring on Timothy Chavez, who is going to help us look at this idea of using textbooks, because Timothy is a proficiency native. He learned this way and he teaches this way. So when he looks at a textbook, he doesn't look at it as, how do I teach with this textbook? He approaches it with his proficiency native lens and says, I have to teach with a proficiency mindset. So how am I going to use this thing to teach with a proficiency mindset? So we're going to dive well into that conversation. So welcome on to the podcast, Timothy. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Joshua. Oh, absolutely. So I know that you are... So I'm going to be totally honest. I have known Timothy for some time. I knew (laughs) him before I knew him because I know his high school uh, Spanish teacher really, really well. And she used to talk about her amazing (laughs) Spanish student named Timothy. So I knew about him before he even entered the (laughs) teaching world. 
And it's Ronnie Webster out there. Shout out to Ronnie Webster. And so I know that you are a middle school Spanish teacher in Andover, Massachusetts, and you are currently also enrolled in the Middlebury master's program uh, for Spanish as well. So can you fill in some of the blanks about your education and teaching journey to here? Yeah, actually, I just got back from Middlebury. It's um, a really intense program. And so I'm so happy to be home with my cats. Um, And I'm glad that you mentioned Ronnie because I knew she was going to come up at some point in this um, because not only was she a really good teacher, but she then became my mentor my first year teaching. So I'm really grateful to have had that experience. And I love what you say about being a a proficiency native because that, that I feel that really explains how I was taught and how I teach. I'm also, I guess I should add, I'm a a pretty accomplished pianist. I I love doing all the musicals for Andover, and I just accepted a job as the show choir music director for next year for the high school. So wish me luck on that. Wow. Yeah. So good. So you sing as well? Yes, I do. I was actually a singer before I was a pianist. It's just once you become a, once people find out that you're a pianist, then the singing almost goes away. They're like, oh, will you play for me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that is some really good insight into the world of Timothy. So let's jump into this conversation about textbooks. So the first thing to put out there is we have these textbooks and traditionally how were textbooks, and they still are, how are textbooks created? Like, what's their, what's their goal and uh, what's missing from them? I think the, the issue I have with textbooks is just that we as teachers are not demanding what we want. And so mm-hmm. textbooks pub, textbook publishers are just giving us those grammar charts because that's what they've always done. And I mm-hmm. think there are a couple things missing from them. One is culture is a huge thing that's missing. It's usually in English and textbooks and it's usually a little snippet and sometimes it's very surface level. Um, And social justice I think is missing Mm -hmm. from textbooks as well. And I think that that above all is one of the most important things to add to a curriculum at this point. Mm -hmm. And so if we're only using textbooks, as the entire curriculum, we're, we're missing a huge piece of what we really should be providing for our students. Yeah, that, that culture piece, there was an attempt to add culture. So I know if we look back textbooks in the 50s and 60s, there was absolutely no culture, probably through the 70s. Then in the 80s, they started to add the little culture notes in, yep. which at the time was in <laughs> very innovative. You know, it was a step forward. It was innovative for the time. And we've just learned so much more about culture since then. Absolutely. And can I ask about what specifically your experiences with textbooks were as a student? Were they used in your classes? Not in my Spanish classes. Um, Mm -hmm. I never, I didn't even know that there was a textbook in my Mm -hmm. Spanish classes. Mm Mm-hmm. When you moved on to college, and were you a Spanish major as an undergrad in college? I was, but I think I got really lucky because thank you to Ronnie, who was very communicative in her teaching. And mm-hmm. so I only took four years of Spanish 
in high school. And then I went off to college and I was placed into the 300 level courses. So I mm-hmm. never, ever took a grammar class in mm-hmm. my undergrad, but I did tutor as an undergrad. And so I did see what those teachers were doing and it was very workbook exercises. They were trying to get done in an entire semester what high schools tend to do in two, usually two school years. So mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is not acquisition based by any means. So to move on, to go a little further with our textbook conversation, I'm just going to ask a a simple question here. Uh, Do we just have to ditch our textbooks altogether or can they be useful in some way in a proficiency based classroom? Yeah, I think they are absolutely useful. And to be honest, I, I wouldn't have the curriculum that I have right now if it weren't for a textbook. And so I feel bad sometimes on my blog. I feel like I'm really anti-textbook, but I'm I'm actually not. What I am is using the textbook as a guide for the curriculum. And so I believe it really helps me in terms of topics, which then help me in terms of themes. And then I jump into my social job. It's sort of a... It's an outline, sort of a starting point, and exactly. then you're adding to it. What sorts of things do you do you add to a unit? Like, can you give me an example of a, a unit in, say, your eighth grade textbook that you're using, and what that unit is, and what you've added to it to enhance it? Absolutely. So, yeah, when I started in Andover, there's we have a lot of freedom with the with the curriculum, and I'm really grateful for that they basically were like, here's the textbook, do with it what you will. So my first year, I was just trying to teach language communicatively, but my my focus was still really, it was pretty grammar based. It was like, I was trying to use things in context, but I was really trying hard to just teach grammatical concepts. And I just realized it wasn't my style. And so what I did was I wanted to be in line with the other teachers in in my district because we have three middle schools And so in terms of at least topics, vocabulary, and somewhat grammar, I want to make sure that we're all somewhat teaching the same thing. But I can't teach a textbook. I I just can't. So what I did was I took each topic, let's say I just wrote a new unit actually on, on clothing. I was struggling with that unit because it's really just, it ends up being just vocabulary. And Mm -hmm. so I usually just, I would just breeze through it because I didn't have Mm -hmm a good unit. So what I did was I decided to, I actually took a course in Middlebury this summer called Cuerpos Marcados. And it was about like marked bodies and how our, how our upbringing damages us in ways. And, and so I thought it would be really cool to talk about how um, clothing can be really gender performative, sometimes heteronormative. And so I took that concept. And I was like, okay, now I need to find resources. So I, cause I always like to start my units with an interpretive assignment. Mm-hmm. So I found an interpretive reading that I would be able to adjust the task to my students' needs. Um, and then I found a bunch of like memes and visuals that I'm going to use to, to discuss this because there are a lot of really interesting concepts here. It's like, should schools have Uh, dress codes. And then in some ways, dress codes kind of protect us. You know, we don't want students wearing like a Nazi symbol on their shirt. Um, So a dress code in that sense can be really helpful. But in another sense, it can be really racist and it can be really um, 
geared more towards women. And, and so I want to hear the opinions of my students, like what, where do you think the line is um, and kind of see where they stand. And I think it's a really cool way for them to acquire language because we're talking mm -hmm. about real things. So in any given textbook, language learning textbook you have your your vocabulary themes like say clothing but then within each chapter there are these grammar topics that come up and how do you deal with those grammar topics that come up in in say your your clothing chapter do you follow them do you do your own talk us through that a little bit i try to follow them but to be honest i kind of ignore them because mm -hmm. whatever unit i'm doing is gonna have a lot of grammar in it and i just know that and i just trust that whatever i'm doing over those three years is going to be so much more meaningful than just teaching grammar so i guess i hope like i don't have a unit on them change verbs I don't, but I have a lot of stem change verbs that are used from sixth grade all the way throughout eighth grade. So I'm like, I know they're going to be exposed to it. Um, so I, I just personally, I can't base a unit off of a grammatical topic. It's, mm -hmm. I find it too hard and too limiting. I, I think actually the way that I do it, my students tend to acquire more grammar than if I were only focusing on one grammatical concept. There's research out there on the idea of acquisition orders in different languages. And what most of the research shows us is that the, the way grammar is presented in textbooks does not follow the acquisition orders that are borne out in the research. They more so put it in level of like complexity, like regular yeah. verbs, irregular verbs, regular preterite, irregular preterite. And those are actually not the way that they are sort of subconsciously learned and acquired, uh, but that's the way the textbook does it. So a lot of times curriculum follows that. And so hearing you say that, you know, with stem changing verbs, that they may not come in early on because they're thought of as more complex verb forms, but it's actually something that's useful early on, not in all six forms or five forms that you would see in a verb conjugation, just the ones that you need. And as you move through, you'll eventually get them all. Exactly. And that's that's kind of how I do it is like, okay, in this unit, because sometimes people ask me like, oh, well, have you taught regular verbs yet? And I say like, well, yeah, because I've been doing it all year because it's not a unit. It's like one, one unit might require the nosotros form of the verb, the we form of the verb more than any of the others. And then hopefully the next one might be more about I and and I just, it just happens that way. And, and I, I like it that way because I feel like students leave me in their first year mm -hmm. and they are conjugating their verbs. Whereas when, before, when I wasn't really mm -hmm. doing it this way, they weren't. So I'm going to ask these sort of last two questions in this discussion. They're kind of opposite ends. So the first one is, uh, is it possible to teach without a textbook? Absolutely. I've never taught with a textbook, but my textbook has always been part of the curriculum. Um, but teaching, when you say teaching with a textbook, do you mean like having the students use the textbook or do you mean using it as a curriculum? So not having one at all. Like, is it possible to teach a class and not have a textbook at all? It's definitely possible, but I think it's really difficult because you're going to have a lot of differing opinions unless you're a department of one. I think if you're a department of one, it might be a little bit easier. 
but having the base of the textbook has been really good for my department and me because we all have really different teaching styles. And so one of us can do a unit on clothing and talk about gender performativity and the other can just do a unit on clothing. One can do a unit on how clothing affects the environment. And we're all at some point teaching clothing. Mm -hmm. And so the opposite side of that is I, I have a very prescribed curriculum with very detailed grammar points and vocabulary, and it's tied to a textbook. And I want to move away from that so that I can be more communicative because maybe I feel a little inhibited uh, by the textbook when I want to be communicative. So what are some talking points that I can use with, say, my department head or administrators that think that the textbook needs to be the say-all, be-all, end-all of my classroom? I think that's a really tough thing to do, and that's one of my hardest experiences as an educator. The first is it's hard for people to deny research. So I have always been a researcher by nature, and so that has really helped me because I can go to my principal or to my department head and say, this is what I need because this is what the research says. And then they can't really argue with that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is you, sometimes you really just have to do it and show them. You have Mm -hmm. to prove it. You know, I remember my first year in Andover when I said I wasn't going to be using grammar charts and these four dads came up to me and they crossed their arms, they circled around me and they were like, how are we going to help our kids? And I was like, well, do you speak Spanish? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, then you're not. And hopefully that's my job. So hopefully they'll do it with me. And by the end of that school year, three of those parents apologized to me. Um, One of them, I just never saw him again, but I like to think that he wanted to apologize. (laughs) Um, So I think that's another thing is you just, sometimes we, we learn by showing and, and by doing. So if you just do it and then bring evidence the next year, like look at the difference between like I let, I do that a lot. Look at the difference between my writing when I wasn't using social justice and themes or thematic units and when I when I was. And mm-hmm. the best student, sometimes I take the best student and the difference is just incredibly large. And so mm-hmm. I think that helps too, to just show them proof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times in language teaching, when we're trying to be progressive, there would be an immediate ditch the textbook, ditch the grammar, and just do this entirely new thing. And there is so much fear of the unknown in that. So I I appreciate your approach to it by saying, if you if you have it in your classroom, sort of use it as a resource to help you go, you don't have to completely throw it away and change tomorrow. Uh, So I, I appreciate you sort of I don't know if it's giving the leeway, but opening up the possibilities that it doesn't have to be an either or that there's a happy medium. Yeah, I think the word ditch makes it seem like, oh, we Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be using it at all. And really, the way I interpreted it is ditch it slowly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So now that we've gotten some really great information from you, I and our listeners, I'm sure, are really curious where does your inspiration continue to come from? Are there conferences, workshops, books, influencers that you look to to continue on your learning journey? All of the above. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really love podcasts um, Mm -hmm. because I 
I, I love to read, but I am very busy with like the musicals and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have loved Bill Van Patten's podcasts, mm-hmm. the Tea with BVP. I forget what the other one was called. Talking L2. Yeah, Talking L2. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really like those. I learned a lot from, from language acquisition podcasts. Um, and because that kind of taught me, you can teach communicatively in many different ways. It's not mm-hmm. just OWL. It's not just TPR. Like, I also really, really love words and actions, teaching proficiency through the social justice lens. Cassandra Glynn is one of the authors. Mm-hmm. Um, that has really helped me a lot. I, I thought that book was incredible. It was really easy to read. And it essentially was like, go unit by unit and make sure you're doing this for your students. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it helps you ease into it mm-hmm. and realize the importance of social justice in, in the classroom. So now this is the point where I like to pull the teacher curtain aside a little bit and get to know Timothy the person a little more with a little segment I like to call uh, this or that. So I'm just going to ask you some this or that questions and you just you know, say which one you have to choose one side or the other. Okay. Okay. And uh, you can say why if you're interested in that. Okay. First one, Netflix or Amazon? Netflix. Mm. I used to be an Amazon Prime guy, but now Netflix has taken over. Uh huh. Any particular reason? Are there particular things that pull you that direction? There are a lot of um, Mexican TV shows now, uh-huh. which before a lot of them were all from Spain. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm into that. Are there any particular TV shows from Mexico that you would recommend? Uh, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I really love Contraseta. It's very, very like gossip girl kind of, but I, it, it hooks me. Yeah. All about <laughs> comprehensible input, as long as it's compelling, yeah. right? <laughs> okay, next one here. I know you're a beach guy. So you're okay. at the beach. Are you reading a book or are you swimming? Oh, I'm definitely swimming. I'm my. It's funny because sharks are like my biggest fear. I I have nightmares about sharks all the time, but I still can't stay out of the ocean. I can't. Mm-hmm. And the last one, and I just wrote this one as we were talking. You're playing the piano, singing a song. Is it pop or a Broadway show tune? Oh, Broadway show tune for sure. I was hoping you. I was hoping that was one of the genres you would include because if it was anything else, I would have said nope, neither. <laughs> <laughs> I figured when you said you were doing the musicals at school, I was like, I'm going to change this question just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so wonderful, thank you. Great to get that that insight as you we were going through, and I'm sure that there are some listeners out there that would like to connect with you to maybe talk a little more about textbooks or maybe show tunes, perhaps. Um, And how can they connect with you? Where can they do that? One of them is my Instagram. It's just at Timothy M underscore BC. I post when I do a new blog post on there as well. And so that leads me to the other one, which is my my teaching blog. And that is workingtowardproficiency.blogspot.com. All right. Now make sure those are in the show notes so we can all connect from there. So can you leave us before we say goodbye with one really good actionable piece of advice when it comes to using a textbook in the classroom? I think it's important to, one thing that I struggled with is I had so many ideas and I wanted to do it all. I wanted to get rid of the textbook as quickly as I could, Um, but it's just not realistic. So 
my, I think the best piece of advice I can offer is go one unit at a time mm-hmm. because that wor- it works faster than you think. Um, mm-hmm. And then you kind of get into the groove of it and then unit writing becomes a lot faster once you've done it a couple times. Excellent. Thank you so much. So actionable, ready to run away with that. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us to talk about textbooks today. I really appreciated this opportunity to speak with you. Thanks for having me. It meant a lot. So if you are using a textbook in your world language classroom, either by choice or some sort of requirement, hopefully you'll be able to pull some thoughts and ideas out of that conversation with Timothy so that you can keep it communicative, sort of use it as a base and make the units a little more culturally robust. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you can connect with Timothy Chavez. You will also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, which is my weekly newsletter where you will get an email each week with tips and tools for language teaching and also a reminder when new episodes of the podcast are ready for you. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.